Well, this Advent, we, uh, we began last week uh, looking at uh, a few sections in John's Gospel. And we're going to spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas in John's Gospel this year. And what I want us to, to just to kind of orient you a little bit to, to what we're doing, um, you know, John's Gospel doesn't have a birth narrative. In other words, the story of Jesus' birth, like you find in Matthew and in Luke. But even though it doesn't have that, it has a very, very clear topic right at the very beginning of his gospel. And he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's verse 1. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He establishes right away the central claim of Christianity that God has become a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. That God in Jesus has become a human being just like you and me to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And it's worth asking or reminding ourselves, why is that so important? John answers that for us too. In the very early verses of his book, he says it's because in him, in this Jesus, is life. In him is life. And he doesn't tell us that just uh, for information's sake. If you go to the very end of his gospel, he tells us that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the reason that we're we're looking at John's gospel is to to figure out and to try to understand what are you supposed to believe about this Jesus in whom is life. And by believing in him, you can also have life in him. What are you supposed to believe about him? And uh, there's a number of ways that you could answer that question, but... John, throughout his gospel, gives us seven different statements that have now often referred to as the I am statements. And so we're just looking at four of those uh, over these four weeks leading up to Christmas to try to answer that question. What does it mean that Jesus is the word become flesh to dwell among us? And what is it that we're to believe about him? in order to enjoy and experience the life that he brings. And so last week, uh, we began, and and Matt uh, Clegg, our assistant pastor, he looked at John chapter 14 and and the I am statement when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And tonight, we're looking at the statement in John 6, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And by referring to himself as the bread of life, I think it's pretty obvious that Jesus is telling us something about his identity. And what I want us to figure out and to look at tonight is, what does he mean by that? When he says that he is the bread of life, what does he mean? And so we're going to look and see uh, tonight where the bread of life is from, what the bread of life promises, and then how to enjoy the bread of life. So where is the, the bread of life is from, what the bread of life promises, and how to enjoy the bread of life. So first, where's the bread of life from I want you to notice right away, very simply, uh, the claim that Jesus makes here, that the bread of life 
is from heaven. Look here in verse 33. He says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. In verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. Look in verse 50. A little bit further down. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. And again in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And finally in verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Again and again and again, the bread of life is described as from heaven. Not only that, this is exactly what the crowd that has been following Jesus has failed to grasp. The context for this story comes right after when Jesus fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And after having been fed by Jesus, Jesus takes off with his disciples and crosses back over the Sea of Galilee to the other side, to Capernaum. And the crowd wonders where he is, and they continue to pursue him and to seek after him and They have yet to grasp who this Jesus is and what they had witnessed. But what we realize here when Jesus tells us that the bread of life is from heaven, if you notice in verse 32 what he says here, that the bread that is from heaven is a gift from the Father, verse 32. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So the bread of life from heaven is a gift from the Father. And also, verse 33, the bread of God is He. In other words, the bread of heaven is a person. This is what the crowd had not yet understood or been able to grasp. What they saw in Jesus was someone who provided bread, even miraculously. But they had not yet seen Him as the bread itself the bread of life, the bread from heaven. And this bread from heaven, he describes here as the true bread and the living bread, which are both highlight a contrast that we find in this passage. And it's a contrast between the story of Moses, when God, through Moses, brings his people out of Egypt. And not long, maybe a couple months after he brought them out of Egypt, they're in the, in the wilderness, and they have no food. And they begin to grumble against God and complain. And Moses cries out to them. And let me read you here what happens. It says, and the whole congregation, this is from Exodus chapter 16, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here, not only does this crowd that has come to Jesus essentially say to Jesus, Look, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. What can you show us? to prove that we should believe you. Here, what we find is that the bread of life, the bread that Jesus is here putting in front of us, is totally different 
than this manna in the wilderness. Because the manna in the wilderness, the fathers ate and they died. It didn't sustain them. It couldn't sustain them. And yet Jesus is putting in front of us, front of us a bread that leads and endures to eternal life. And I want you to see that while there, that there is a contrast in this passage between what Jesus calls the bread of God or the bread from heaven and the bread or this manna in the wilderness, the context is the same. There was grumbling against God in the wilderness. And if you notice, even here in this passage, verse 41, the Jews grumble about him. Who does he think he really is? We know who this guy is. He's the son of Joseph. We know where he's from. How can he possibly claim these sorts of things? And so you might expect God's response to be swift and full of justice, especially if you know anything about the story of the Exodus, God bringing his people out of slavery, 400 years of slavery. And they cry out. And God brings them out of Egypt. He rescues them. He redeems them. He saves them. And three months later, remember, 400 years of slavery, only about a few months later, they're grumbling against God, wishing they were back in slavery. But listen to how God responds. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And listen, similarly in verse 32 of our passage, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. How does God respond to grumbling, complaining, demanding people? I'm about to rain from heaven bread for you. That's amazing. What that means is if you find yourself here this evening and you find yourself complaining, you're a grumbler, you're critical, at some level, however many things you may be able to point to horizontally, at some level, you're grumbling against God. And what this story helps you to see, God responds to grumbling sinners by raining bread from heaven. And not just bread that you eat and then have to go and get again, but raining bread from heaven, the very Son of God. Now, why is this so important for us? Because what this tells us, that if, if the bread of life is from heaven, that means God moves towards us. This is what makes Christianity utterly unique the world over. Every other world religion, and even no religion, essentially says, how do I get back to God? How do I justify my existence? How do I make my life matter? How do I make myself acceptable? But Christianity says the exact opposite. Christianity says it's not how do we get back to God, it's how does God come to us? And so when Jesus again and again says, the bread of life is from heaven, he's turning 
everything upside down about how the world works, about how you and I think about one another and ourselves. You see, the incarnation, that's the fancy word for God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The good news about this is if you let this soak in, this is the end of all your striving. This is the end of all your proving of yourself. This is the end of all your efforts to get other people to accept you, to get God to accept you. And why is that? Because you are not bread from heaven. You are not the true bread. You are not the bread that endures and wells up into eternal life. The bread that you need, God in His grace rains down upon us in His Son, Jesus. So the bread of life is from heaven. And this is a remarkable claim. And if it's true, and it is, then this, this changes everything. And I want us to look for a moment, what, what could this possibly mean for us? What does the bread of life then promise? If the bread of life is from heaven, and that's God moving towards us, coming to us, in order that we might be able to come to him. What does the bread of life promise? Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, there's obviously, throughout this whole passage, is rich imagery of, of food, of bread, of hunger, thirst. The very first thing that we notice here about what the bread of life promises, what Jesus promises, is anyone who comes to him shall be satisfied. Now, this is incredibly deep. We are in very deep waters here. What does it mean to be satisfied? Well, if we could just peel back a little bit, I think what Jesus has in mind here is a satisfaction of the soul, of a heart that is not anxious and toilsome, pining after even the very best things that you can lose in this life, but being satisfied with God's provision in Jesus. The life that God gives. In other words, this is, fi- this is where you find meaning, purpose. This is where you find and are satisfied with your own identity, the way God made you after his own image. This is where we find deep significance Jesus here says, anyone who comes to him shall not hunger and you shall not thirst. That Jesus here says, I alone can satisfy your soul. Now, how, does, how can you be sure that he'll do that? Well, look in verses 37 to 40. He says here, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How can you be sure that these promises from the bread of life are true? You can be sure because Jesus came to do his Father's will, not his own will. Here, again, there's some deep theological waters here of the sovereignty of God, of God drawing people to himself, of people coming to Jesus, of Jesus keeping those who come to him. There is a rich tapestry here of fabric, of God's gracious work in the life of a sinner, renewing him or her from the inside out so that they might see who Jesus really is and therefore coming to him and discovering that this bread of life, this Jesus will never, ever let you go. That's what we're told here. That's what we're promised here. Here, Jesus tells us this is the will of God that everyone who believes and looks on the Son, the bread of life, will have life eternal. Right now. And forevermore. That He will satisfy you. You will be secure in Him. That you will have assurance. Not because of how good a life you're living. You will not lack security because of the weaknesses and failures you see. You can know that you are safe. That you have life. That nothing this world can take from you because of Jesus who is the bread of life. Who came not to do his own will but the will of his Father which is to keep and to hold and protect and to love all those the Father gives him. Now, but what if you struggle? What if you struggle to accept that? What if you struggle to accept Jesus' claim that he's from heaven? Well, first of all, notice in verse 41, you're you're not alone. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Uh, Perhaps you might find yourself from time to time wrestling with the claims that you find in the scriptures. And not the obscure, weird ones, but ones like this. This is a famous passage. The very basic, simple things that Jesus says. How, How can he say this? What are you supposed to do with that? What if you struggle with this? Well, Jesus' answer in this case to, to, to the Jews who are grumbling about him, the, the crowd that's gathered around him, and even to us, again, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he says, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Here, Jesus is actually quoting from the book of Isaiah when he says that all 
will be taught by God. How do you hear and how do you learn from God? That's what John's whole gospel is about. The Word. The Word that became flesh and has dwelt among us. How does God teach us? Does He expect us to think our way to Him? No. Again, the whole movement of this passage is from heaven to earth. God does not expect you to think your way to Him. And if I could put it maybe a little bit even more provocatively, God is not on the hook to satisfy all our questions. God has revealed who He is in Jesus Christ. Everything that we need to know who He is, who we are, what we need is found in Jesus. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And everyone who learns from the Father comes to me. Now what he's saying here to us is that anyone, everyone who looks to the Son in faith will find eternal life. You know, perhaps you can relate to this, maybe you can't. It's not easy for people to hear this kind of message and really take it seriously. Because if you really do take this seriously, that coming to Jesus, you will find life eternal, what that means is you have to give up and say no to every other kind of life that you might live for. In fact, Jesus says it absolutely starkly. Later on in verse 53, he says, If you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus is saying, there is only one life, and it is the life that he brings and the life that he gives. Now, if these promises are true of what he's saying here, How do you get in on them? How do you participate in the bread of life? Now remember, very beginning here, when the crowd comes to Jesus and they're seeking after him, Jesus actually challenges them and says, I know why you're seeking me. You're seeking me because you saw me provide 5,000 people with bread and your stomachs were full. And you would like more of that. But I have to tell you, do not seek after the bread that perishes. But seek after the bread that endures to eternal life. And so Jesus here is putting a question to us, I think. What kind of bread are you seeking? What kind of food are you living for? Are you striving for? Now, obviously he's talking here in metaphor. But think for a moment about your own life. What do you spend most of your time planning for? Ordering your life around? Seeking after? Trying to acquire or trying to get to? Those all may be pointers for you to actually think about, am I seeking after bread that perishes? 
And Jesus, his whole point here is to tell us, don't work for bread that perishes, but bread that endures to eternal life. Now, what does that mean? Look in verse 29. This is one of my my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Jesus answered them after they had asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. What does God require of you? What are the works of God? There are lots of good works described in the Bible, but it is absolutely important. In fact, your life depends on it, that you understand that the claims of the Bible and what Christianity teaches, the one work of God that he requires of you is to believe in the, one whom, in, in the one he has sent. He doesn't expect you to jump through hoops. He doesn't expect you to live a certain kind of life. He doesn't expect you to make up for things you've done. What he asks of you is to believe him, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Now, to believe in Jesus, what does that mean? How do you believe in this, in this Jesus, this bread of life? Look, verse 52, actually verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, you might think, okay, Jesus might throttle back a little bit. I mean, wait, 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 that's not really what I meant. Really what I meant was I'm just asking you to trust me But that's not what he says. Listen to what he says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Do you hear that? Eating, feeding, flesh, blood. Now, this would have been utterly offensive to a first century Jew. Because in the Old Testament, you were commanded not to eat anything that had the blood in it. And here Jesus is saying, unless you eat my flesh and my blood, there is no life in you. It's visceral. It's It's earthy, it's visual, it's graphic. What is he doing? What Jesus is telling us, he's telling us what does it mean to believe in him? To put your faith in him. If I could put it this way, faith is sinking your teeth in Jesus. Now, I know we don't talk like that about Jesus and in in sort of religious situations all the time. But think for a moment. There, there are a number of ways that, that we speak in similar idioms and, and metaphors like this. We devour books. We drink in lectures. We swallow up stories. We chew on ideas. And sometimes when things don't go so well, we eat our own words. So we talk like this. But Jesus here is telling us something about what faith is like. What does it mean to believe 
To believe in Jesus means he has to feed you with his body, with his life. He has to be the one who sustains you. Just like the food that you eat at a meal goes inside, makes its way into all the various intricacies of the human body and nourishes you. Jesus is saying to believe in him is to receive into the very depths of your being his life. Now, this, again, it's, it's visceral. It's earthy. But Jesus wants you to understand that there is good news for you in this passage. And, you know, you might be thinking, and, and perhaps you should be thinking, that, man, this sounds an awful lot like the Lord's table. And it's very interesting. There's, I could go into some details. I, I won't do that. But I'll tell you, I actually think that this passage isn't directly talking about the Lord's Supper. It's interesting. John doesn't describe when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And if there's any place in John's gospel where he could make mention of that, this would have been the chapter to do it. But aside from that, what I absolutely am confident of is that the Lord's Supper, when you drink the wine and you eat the bread, what we see in the Lord's Supper is described in this chapter. Because for John to eat the body and the blood of Jesus is synonymous with believing in him. I think that's why Jesus gave us the meal. It's visceral. It's earthy. You sink your teeth in it. It's spiritual food. And Jesus, through faith, promises to spiritually feed you. Now, let me finish with this. I want you to hear something, uh, regardless of who you are or where you're from, whether you grew up in the church or not. Notice what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then verse 51, he says, The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, this is good news for the whole world. That means you. That means you. No matter who you are, how old you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, that this bread of life is for you. Now you might remember, remember how God responded to the grumbling of his people in Exodus 16 and to the people in this story? moves towards them. He rains down bread from heaven. How can he do that? Because it's the bread of life who gave his life so that you and I, the world, might have life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for these words of Jesus that the Apostle John has recorded that we might learn of him that we might be taught by you. 
about the bread of life. And Father, we pray that you would help us to believe on the Lord Jesus and to know the love and the security, the acceptance, the satisfaction, the delight, the enjoyment of eating the body and the blood of Jesus, of feasting on his life, of experiencing the life that he lived for us that we could not do for ourselves. Father, would you do that for your glory and for our good? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.